Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Today, our hosts take us through a discussion on hyper-reality. These days, what's genuine and make-believe are blending together in a new pseudo-reality. Where will this slide end, and how should the church view it? Let's see what Amy, Carl, and Todd have to say. Well, today on Mortification of Spin, we're coming to the end of a bit of an era. We're actually going to be awarding our last desperate theologizer prize. Don't worry, we do not intend to become any more respectable than we already are. We will be having a very suitable replacement, but every joke has its day. Every award comes to the end of its natural life, and we think that today is the day, but we've decided to go out with a bang. So, Amy... Perhaps you'd like to tell us about today's nominee for Desperate Theologizer. Yes, today's nominee um, really has a lot of connection to what we'll be talking about for our bully pulpit. So I think it's a good one. Um, This is an article by Pikachu. Pokemon Go in a Fractured and Flattened world. And and what he does here is he talks about this phenomenon of Pokemon Go and... um, He theologizes it a little bit. So he says that Pokemon Go tells us something about American life in the 21st century. Many people experience the world as flattened out and devoid of wonder, and they worry that our society seems to be fracturing. These feelings create pressure points in our culture, and Pokemon Go provides a fleeting sense of relief. And so he offers some different points for that. He says we live in a fractured world that's longing for a community. And so that's one reason why Pokemon Go is um, so attractive to us. Um, We live in a flattened world longing for transcendence. Um, And also, he does end with the longings and limits of a game. So um, with this desperate theology that we have going on here, uh, you know, there's a lot of... uh, It's a lot of stretching you have to do to theologize Pokemon Go. Um, and we'll get on with Carl giving the award in just a second. But um, just you know, keep this in mind as we talk then about a- another topic, hyper-reality, in this podcast. There's nothing more significant going on in the world today than Pokemon Go. I just I want to throw my <laughs> I want to throw my hat in the ring for that, and I'm I'm all about it. Well, it's the end of an era, but. <laughs> Pokemon Go, you are this week's Desperate Theologizers. trouble for that oh Oh, probably probably but uh you see i would come back on that i'd say and this really segues i suppose into the general topic i'd offer a pascalian analysis of this this is distraction yeah Mm. what what we're doing with pokemon go is you're expanding the trivial to cover all of life 
Yeah. And what you're doing is you're distracting yourself from the bigger questions. I want to say, you know, you want community, read a book, form a reading group. Mm. You know, when I say people walking around doing Pokemon Go, I want to say, I want to grab them by the lapel, shake them and say, (laughs) you blithering idiots have (laughs) books to read. Have you read the whole of Thomas Hardy? Have you read everything that Joseph Conrad wrote? Have you read all of Shakespeare? Have you gazed at the stars? Yeah, and have, I, have you exuriated in God's creation and the great talents that he has given people throughout the centuries? Have I, you read Stephen Furtick's latest book? <laughs> yeah. No, but really, I think you can kind of look at this phenomenon and theologize a bit. But maybe, uh, maybe there are different things to say than just, okay, we're longing for a community in a, in a fractured and flattened world. Yeah, I, I, think, I think Pokemon Go is an indictment on us, not a, not a, a, a means to, to redeem the culture or anything right. like that. I think it's an indictment. Yeah. Are we longing for community or are we attempting to create false communities right. so that we can avoid the one community that really counts, and that is the community formed by the preaching of the word, the mm. gospel? Yeah. Amen. That's good. And, and you know, what made me want to do a podcast about this whole topic of hyper-reality is an article that um, Karen Swallow Pryor wrote for Hermeneutics, Are We Distracting Ourselves to Death? And, and that's, that's what she's saying, too, in so many words. But she introduces this, um, this word hyper-real. And it's, uh, she says, capturing an experience with a photo or a video or a tweet or blog post can hold more importance than the actual experience. And it reflects a phenomenon that the French philosopher Jean Baudrillard. Baudrillard. <laughs> okay, thank you Audrey. for that. <laughs> Called the He's dealing with ignorant Americans everywhere. I, <laughs> yes. I think that's the guy who works at the McDonald's up here. Bald- but anyway. Baudrillard. Baudrillard. The hyper-real. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, say I'm winding you up. Baudrillard. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we were talking about the hyper real and Pokemon Go. And I think this whole um this whole community of of social media and technology and what that does to our sense of reality and community. And you make such a good uh, point Carl about the real community being called under the preached word where there's um there's conviction. There's confrontation, there's um, growth and change and, and godliness and holiness and worship. Um, it's a lot more than snapping a picture of a, um, I don't even know, a fake reality in the middle of the street while oncoming traffic is, is yeah. threatening your life. Yeah, I think we often as Christian cultural critics take cultures too seriously if I could put it that way. It's a little bit like atheism. I remember being very convicted some years ago. I think it was Stephen Williams wrote an article critiquing Jürgen Moltmann and saying that one of the problems with Moltmann's theology is he takes atheism too seriously. He treats atheists as if they have real integrity, uh, whereas in fact they don't. And I think when you look at something like Pokemon and then say, well, actually, this is pointing towards the deep longings of the human heart, blah, 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 blah. Well, perhaps, but that's treating, treating it with great integrity. Maybe, mm-hmm. it's a, maybe it's a scam. Maybe it's a distractive scam. I think particularly Calvinists or Augustinians should be very careful before they start taking cultural phenomena at face value. Mm-hmm. As, as though any of those things can be somehow neutral 
because yeah. they, they, yeah. they can't. It's interesting. Neil Postman has this great line, and I'm probably paraphrasing, but out of Amusing Ourselves to Death, where he says, you know, the problem is not that there is, is entertainment. The problem is that everything now has to be presented as entertaining. Yeah. yeah. And, and so it, everything becomes yeah. something that has to satisfy my desire to be be entertained or or wowed in some way yeah that's a very pascalian point because pascal makes this comment when he's engaging in this criticism of, of the what we would call the entertainment culture he says i don't have a problem with a, a poor farmer or a peasant you know engaging in a bit of folk dancing of an evening that yeah. it's not a problem that human beings enjoy a bit of entertainment it's when it becomes the focal point of life yeah. that it's mm-hmm. a problem that's when it beca- and that's when it becomes culturally and psychologically interesting because what is going on what is going on in america that entertainment is the most significant factor in most people's lives yeah yeah and i think you know you look at pokemon go and that's just a fad it's not going to last very long but then you look at something else that has the similar similar hyper reality and that is trending you know for a very long time now and that's the whole the like culture, the like button um, on Facebook, and the, I guess it's now a heart on Twitter, and liking blog posts, it does create this other hyper-reality and this illusion of, of power, even, that you get to push that button. And, and it'll say, hey, Amy likes this, along with, you know, 334 other people. Um, and you begin to build this, this commodity of status. Uh, based on the number of likes that you have. I posted an article once that my daughters several years ago blew my mind when they told me that some people buy likes. Oh, nice. (laughs) On Instagram, you know, like like that actually matters. But they are um, calculating their own value as a person by the number of likes that they receive on social media. And and it has nothing to do with the actual content. Of a post. So there's a kind of ethics of authenticity here that one is made yeah. authentic by, by one's virtual community affirming you. Mm-hmm. Very strange. Very it strange. It is, isn't it? Yeah, isn't it? I, one of the things I find fascinating about uh, trends in 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 contemporary worship is that this idea of Carl used used the word authentic. You know, we we talk about authentic worship experiences. Churches promote on their website their authentic worship or their worship experiences as, as in order to differentiate themselves from those churches that just come at you with a lot of boring words, we give you an experience. And so we have smoke machines and a kicking band and weirdo lighting <laughs> and all of those things that that give the experience. And what a, what a contrast that is to to biblical worship and biblical, if I can use the word spirituality, which has always been something that's been based in, in the word. God's word creates a reality, mm-hmm. not smoke machines and, and blue lights. Yeah. Yeah. But that's something else that Karen Swallow prior, right? She just says that um, we begin to cultivate this admiration for the fake until we start to prefer the imitation to the original. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's God's people at the, at the foot of Sinai um, getting so impatient and angry mm, with the fact yeah. that Moses is getting more words, which they're tired of, that they end up making something that they can touch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another yeah. application I think we can make here, too, with church is um, church versus parachurch. And I see this a lot where parachurch 
becomes the ultimate reality for people and their spiritual life and their discipleship and their growth over actual church and the means ordinary of grace. means of grace exactly yeah, that God has given us. And I was talking with someone whom you know I look at as somebody who I thought would be a mature Christian, and um, we were talking about church, and she said that you know she's having some troubles at her church, and she'd been thinking about it, but when when it really got down to it, um, she got her church. She got her church from listening to Matt Chandler sermons throughout yeah. the week, yeah. and that um, she continues to go to her church because she feels like she has something to offer there. Right, and that touches on another thing: that so much of this uh, technology is disembodied. Mm-hmm. That the you know, and and the human body is becoming a highly problematic thing in modern culture. I mean, the most extreme example is transgenderism, of course, where the body has no givenness or no no given authority whatsoever. But I think we also need to understand that the technology is pushing that as well. The the transgender thing is merely a symptom of a much bigger change in mentality and. I was mentioning before the program, I've been reading a bit of uh, the work of Canadian philosopher George Grant, who way back in the 60s was analyzing the impact, the political, sociological, psychological impact of technology and made the point that technology, it's in some ways, it's a metaphysic. It's, it's not just about computers. It's not just about factory production lines, it changes the way you think about the material world as a whole. The material world becomes something upon which we can exert, over which we can exert sovereignty, on which we can exert control. And Grant was writing before any of the IT stuff had really taken a grip. But I I, I fear that the virtual reality or the blending of reality and virtual reality that's taking place actually has significance for the way we think metaphysically about the world in a way that will ultimately be inimical to orthodox Christianity. You know, we tend to think with our young people, the problem is they're growing up not agreeing with us on gay marriage because they've watched soap operas, etc. on it. I also think there's an issue here. They've grown up with computers. And that shapes the way they even think about the material world in a profound way that is antagonistic to the idea of the world as created and given. You know, that reminds me of of Marshall McLuhan's famous line uh, that the medium is the message. It's it's an intentional overstatement, but very uh, uh, instructive for us. It just helps us understand that, that the medium matters. It's not entirely neutral, that it impacts uh, you know how we say a thing and how we communicate a thing uh, really does directly impact the uh, the the message, and um, I think that the church has forgotten that in many ways. In fact, I was raised in a church growth milieu that says it doesn't matter how you do it so long as you keep the message the same. Well, that's just naive. Yeah, yeah you cannot separate form and content. Right. So, reason not all forms require a certain content, but certainly the form has an impact on how the content is received and what the content says. Yeah, yeah. So it's instructive that God has has given us, for instance, His Word that we might be sustained upon it. That that clearly the Christian approach to reality is that God's Word forms reality for us, and uh, um, it is uh, it is that by which we live. So. Well, we're glad you joined us. Hope that the uh, discussion has been um, helpful for you and hope that it adds to our discernment as a people. 
look forward to joining uh, with you again in our next discussion. But until then, please check out our website, mortificationofspin.org. And also, please remember that we are a, a listener-supported ministry. We would love for you to consider uh, donating uh, to Mortification of Spin to uh, keep this podcast going. Until we see you again, we'll look forward to our conversation next time. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, Bully Pulpit, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. The Alliance is a coalition of pastors, scholars, and churchmen who hold the historical creeds and confessions of the Reformed faith and who proclaim biblical doctrine in order to foster a Reformed awakening in today's church. To continue the conversation, we think you'll really enjoy Developing a Christian Mind, an MP3 set of some of Dr. James Boyce's best content. Go to mortificationofspin.org, where we're giving away a bunch of these sets to help you develop a Christian worldview. And join us again next week when we're joined again by Max Benford to talk about his experience and advice on leading men's ministry. Well, I would, you know, I want to know, okay, so in men's ministry, did, did you take them? Did you take them out in the woods? Did you bang on drums? What was the... Crazy adventures, I mean. I found out that in order to have a thriving men's ministry, you needed to plan a bunch of golf tournaments, right. fishing trips, hunting groups. No craft times? Uh, <laughs> Centerpiece making? Yes. No, no, not at Cookie all, baking. not at all. Yeah, no, 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 nothing no. like that. I uh, couldn't even admit to Ice liking breakers. vegetables. But what I, what I realized was that at, say, a golf tournament, there was really little to no discussion about Christ, little to no discussion about anyone's walk with Christ. And furthermore, these events were pulling guys away from the family they probably should have been being a good husband and father towards. That is coming up next time. And don't forget to check out the Mortification of Spin blog to find Developing a Christian Mind by James Boyce. And we'll talk to you next time. I, I, yeah, I'm much more with Mark Bowerline on this stuff. It's all crap and it's destroying your soul. You know? <laughs> <laughs>